So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. This is God's Word to us tonight. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at the opening verses of this letter. We've been looking at Titus over the past few months. Uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are classed as the pastoral epistles. They're quite similar in terms of themes, but we're looking at the beginning of 2 Timothy tonight in something of a one-off sermon. It's page 1195 in your in the pew bibles there's nothing like the prospect of death to clarify the issues of life those of you who have come close to it or sat with others who have faced the end of their lives will know that in those circumstances people are keen to convey what is on their hearts a couple of years ago the daily telegraph published an article about advice given to people by loved ones who were on their deathbeds. Relationship advice was the most common, followed by career advice. Some people received advice on family, education, and finances. Along with some other statistics and comments about deathbed advice, the article included several, several memorable quotes from well-known people on their deathbeds. Karl Marx, the revolutionary, is recorded to have said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. 
And Oscar Wilde is believed to have said, this wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. Either it goes or I do. It's up for debate as to whether or not those people actually said those things on their deathbeds. But what is certain is that in the frailest situation we can ever face, our minds turn to the things of ultimate importance. If you were writing a final letter or speaking to someone for a final time, you would make sure that you convey the deepest desires and longings of your heart. You would pass on what you believe to be of the highest importance. And it's to a letter like that that we turn this evening. Paul is on the brink of death and is writing to his beloved friend and son in the faith, Timothy, and he's writing of things of ultimate importance. These are his deathbed thoughts because at this point in his life, Paul is in prison in Rome. In verse 15, he says that he was deserted by those in Asia. And later in chapter 2, he says that he's bound as a criminal. Paul's recent life has been difficult. He's been persecuted by non-believers and speaks particularly of Alexander the coppersmith, coppersmith inflicting pain on him. Paul was persecuted because he was telling others about Jesus, but he's writing out of concern towards his friend and fellow gospel worker, Timothy. Timothy is younger in the faith, and Paul's purpose in writing is really to tell Timothy to keep going. He wants Timothy to guard the gospel faithfully, to spread the gospel actively, and to suffer for the gospel bravely. That's the advice he wants to give him as he writes this final letter. These things are what Paul considers of ultimate importance. It's worth also taking a moment to think about the church family Timothy was involved in. It was like any other church family throughout history, a hospital for the broken, a surgery for the spiritually sick. There was some false teaching and sin that was played out in public, but Paul is writing to encourage the church family and wants them to be brave Christians. He wants them to guard and cherish the gospel above all else. So tonight we're going to look at these opening verses of 2 Timothy. As I was thinking about where I would preach from this evening, I thought it would be appropriate to part from you by looking at some parting words from Paul about the gospel and what it means for us to live as Christians in this broken world. As we've said already, Paul encourages us to guard the gospel faithfully, spread the gospel actively, and to suffer for the gospel bravely. Let's first of all think about guarding the gospel faithfully. Paul begins this letter to Timothy by reminding Timothy of certain things. In the opening verses, Paul makes a big deal about Timothy's spiritual heritage. He speaks about his own in verse 3, but after that, he focuses on Timothy's family. If you look at what it says in verse 5, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which, was first, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. From verse 5, we can say that Timothy's story, his journey to faith, was significantly influenced by two godly women. Timothy's mother and grandmother had come to know Jesus, and this faith had made its way into the third generation. We don't know too much about Timothy's father. Acts 16 tells us that he was a Greek. It may be the case that he wasn't a Christian, but it may also be the case that he's no longer alive at this point. Timothy's story was also significantly impacted by Paul himself, though. You get a sense of that in verse 4, where Paul recalls Timothy's tears and says that he longs to see him. Though we don't know much about Timothy's paternal father, 
we can say that Paul was his spiritual father. Having led him to faith in Christ, Paul didn't abandon Timothy or even forget him. He says that he constantly prays for him. As Timothy's spiritual father, Paul has followed his progress, and now as he's coming to the end of his life, he wants Timothy to guard the gospel faithfully. That's why he's been reminding Timothy about the sincere faith that has been through three generations of his family. He wants Timothy to guard the precious faith that took root in his grandmother's life, his mother's life, and in his own life as well. But he also wants Timothy's church to guard the gospel too. If you look a little bit further down the passage, you'll see Timothy uh, being told about the gospel being sound teaching. Verses 13 and 14 say, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Timothy is to continue to guard the gospel and keep what Paul taught him at the center of all that he does. And notice that the gospel is a positive message as well. It's sound, which means it's healthy. It's life-giving. It's the emergency oxygen that we so desperately need. It's, it's a good deposit. It's precious. It's unique. It's to be guarded. One of the joys of moving house is changing all your personal information I've been chipping away at it over the past couple of weeks. It's quite a time-consuming task. Uh, you have to notify whoever needs notified that your address is changing. It's recommended that you make the changes because it means that your personal information isn't at risk and it, it guards against any kind of fraud. But if I was to forget to change our details in one important area, the consequences could potentially be disastrous. Think of it like this. Imagine I remember to change the details on my driving license, but forget to update my details with my bank. I might have a car, but I might not have any money to use for petrol. Guarding all your personal information is vital. It's all interconnected. In a similar way, when you reject or change part of the core message of the gospel, you create a weakness. If you're softer on sin and judgment, it means that you can basically justify any kind of behavior. If you reject the exclusive nature of the Christian faith, then you ultimately end up rejecting the need for anyone to trust in Jesus. You see, guarding the core message of the gospel is vital. And this is what we're called to do as we read this opening chapter of 2 Timothy. Paul's way of encouraging us to guard the gospel faithfully is actually quite a persuasive argument when you think about it. By mentioning Timothy's spiritual heritage, Paul is reminding him that the gospel is, is not just a fad that comes and goes. During my time in Hill Street, I had a fad with coffee, tried really, really hard to like it, but it, it never quite took off. Fad came and went, and I'm back to only drinking tea. The gospel isn't like that. It's not just a flash in the pan of history. People before Timothy believed in and followed the Lord. Paul is using this to strengthen Timothy's faith, and by doing so, he's hoping that Timothy will guard the gospel faithfully. Thinking about our own spiritual heritages helps us guard the gospel faithfully too, doesn't it? Some of you here tonight are sitting in the same pews that your parents, your grandparents, maybe even your great-grandparents sat in. 
people before us who believed in and followed the Lord, family members and friends who are now gone but who guarded the gospel and gave this church such solid foundations. 2 Timothy 1 is saying that you need to do the same thing as the previous generations. You need to guard the sound teaching faithfully so that it's passed on to the next generation. It's really important for us to hear this because we can so easily move from knowing the gospel to assuming the gospel. And when we move to assuming the gospel, then we're in a dangerous place because the next step is to forget or reject the gospel. So we've got to guard the truth faithfully. These final words of Paul to Timothy are a challenge to us to guard the gospel, but they're also a challenge to spread the gospel actively. Guard the gospel faithfully, spread the gospel actively. After Paul has written about Timothy's spiritual heritage, he encourages him to be active in speaking about Jesus. Look at what he says in verses 7 and 8. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy is told not to be ashamed of three things here. First of all, he isn't to be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Paul is saying that every Christian is Christ's witness and that every Christian is to be ready and willing to spread the gospel actively. Timothy is not to be ashamed of the Lord, but he's not to be ashamed of Paul either. Do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. It's possible, you see, to be, to be proud of Christ, but ashamed of his people and to be embarrassed to be associated with them. The third thing Timothy is not to be ashamed of is the gospel itself. He's to suffer for it. These were things that Timothy clearly struggled with. He struggled to not be ashamed of Jesus, the church, and the gospel itself. And these are still the, the three main ways in which Christians are tempted to feel ashamed. You, you can imagine the conversations in work, in school, or out and about. Jesus, well, sure, he was just a good man, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he, he was. The church, full of hypocrites. I would never go anywhere near a church. Yeah, the people are weird, and I'm not really involved that much. The gospel, that was a fad that came and went. It was a tool the state used to control people. Yeah, those weird people at church talk a lot about it, but I'm not really that interested. The temptation to be ashamed is a strong one for us. But Paul says, do not be ashamed. It's an echo of what he says at the beginning of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Paul is saying, don't be ashamed. Instead, spread the gospel actively. He's really saying, don't waste your life if you've come to know Jesus. One of the most famous and challenging illustrations of not wasting our lives as Christians comes from John Piper. He was preaching at a conference in 2000 and spoke about people not wasting their lives chasing after material things. He used the illustration of a story that he read in a magazine. I've used this a few times in Hill Street, but this is the story that he read. Bob and Penny 
took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast of America five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. Piper went on to say that Bob and Penny had the dream life, a nice house, a nice car, a nice retirement. But he said their final chapter before they stood before the creator of the universe was tragic. Imagine them of the day of judge, on the day of judgment. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection, Piper said. And I've got a nice swing and look at my boat. We might not collect shells, but the basic outline of our lives might be the same. It might be so materially focused that we forget to spread the gospel actively. We might think that it's somebody else's job. Don't waste your life thinking that. Don't waste your life thinking that you'd be better off doing something else. We're to share the thing that we're guarding. We're not to guard the gospel in a way that, that hides it from people. We're to spread it actively and openly to people as they come into our lives. And let's not think that we can't do this either. It is daunting. It is challenging. But it's as simple as sitting down over a coffee with a friend and saying, I really want to tell you about this. It's changed my life, and it can change your life too. And the other thing to remember is that Jesus spoke about people being ashamed of him and his words. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Those are challenging words to us, challenging especially if we've fallen into the way of being ashamed of Jesus, his church, and his gospel. We're to guard the gospel faithfully, and we're to spread the gospel actively. There's one final thing in this passage. We're to suffer for the gospel bravely. We're to suffer for the gospel bravely. Paul mentions suffering for the gospel in verse 8. If you look at it again, he says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He also mentions that he himself is suffering for it in verse 12. By mentioning his own suffering, he's em emphasizing that he's not asking Timothy to do something that he's not prepared to do himself. But the question we're left asking is, what's the reason for the link between suffering and the gospel? Why would we suffer because of the gospel? The simple reason is this. The message of the gospel is that God saves sinners out of his own purpose and grace not because of anything that we do. And that, at a root level, is the most offensive message anyone can ever hear. Paul has an utterly realistic view about what guarding and spreading the gospel will lead to. It will, in varying ways, bring suffering. Suffering in the workplace, the constant sniping from colleagues. Suffering at home, the children who so actively oppose and avoid any mention of spiritual things. There are many great and famous stories of missionaries being called into service. My favorite missionary anecdote comes from the story of John G. Patton. He was a Scottish man involved in his local church. He saw th fruit through the work that he was involved in. 
but sensed a call to go to Vanuatu, way out in the Pacific Ocean, sort of east of Australia. There were many reasons for him not to go there, one particularly big one being the fact that two missionaries had gone out 20 years previously and were eaten alive by the tribes living on the island. In his autobiography, Patton recalls a conversation that he had with a member of his church called Mr. Dixon. This Mr. Dixon was attempting to put him off from going, believing that Patton should stay at home and continue the work in Scotland. This is Patton's reply to Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can, live, can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. The danger for us in suffering for the gospel is perhaps not that we'll be eaten by cannibals, but it's perhaps that we would be swallowed up by culture. Not guarding and spreading the gospel is tempting because by not doing those things, there's no danger that we'll suffer. There's no danger that our social standing might be affected. There's no danger that our job prospects might be affected. There's no danger that some friendships might be changed or ruined. But the call to guard and spread the gospel will lead to suffering. John G. Patton was aware of it, but considered the glory of serving Jesus to be far greater. There were others before him who were convinced of the same thing, including Paul. Look down again at verse 12. He mentions that he is suffering, and then he says, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him for that day. These final words of Paul are words of ultimate importance because they tell us that the God that we've put our faith in will guard us as we guard his gospel, spread it actively, and suffer bravely for it. Paul was convinced of it, and that's good news because we can be convinced of it too. We've talked a lot about the gospel tonight. We've said that we've got to guard it. We've said that we've got to spread it. We've said that we're going to suffer for it. But what exactly is the gospel? Well, Paul gives us a succinct definition and description of it in verses 9 and 10. He tells us what it is, where it comes from, and what it rests on. If you look at verses 9 and 10, it says, God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What is the gospel? It's God saving us and calling us. Where does it come from? It's through nothing that we do, nothing at all. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus. And what does it rest on? Jesus appearing and how he destroyed death and brought life and immortality. This is the message we're called to guard. This is the message we're, we're called to share. It's amazing news. Death has been destroyed. It's possible to lie on your deathbed 
knowing that your eternity is secure because of Jesus. It's the message that we're called to suffer for, but it's worth suffering for. Life comes through knowing Jesus, and immortality and eternity with Him awaits. These are things of ultimate importance, things that we can't simply hope to ignore and avoid. As we part ways tonight, let's turn our attention to the things that really matter. It's been a real privilege to have been involved in ministry here in Hill Street. I'll say a little bit more upstairs, but we've, we've loved our time here. It's been a joy to have been able to serve and to, to get to know you all, to have been part of your lives, and to, to have walked with you through good times and bad times. But what we've looked at tonight isn't just for you and, and not for me. It's for us as we go to Bucna. We'll have to, to guard the gospel faithfully. We'll have to spread it actively. And we'll have to suffer for it bravely. But it will be worth it for all of us. Because we know whom we have believed. And we are surely convinced that he is able to guard what we have entrusted to him for that day. You might be here tonight, and you might not have believed the gospel yet. Let me appeal to you one last time to at least think seriously about these things. These are things of ultimate importance, things that we talk about every week here in Hill Street. But in this final sermon, let me point you to the Savior that you need to trust. You can't approach a holy God through anything you do. You can only know God by trusting in His Son, and what hope he offers, death destroyed, life freely given. This chapter is a powerful parting chapter. It's a reminder to us to guard the gospel faithfully, to spread the gospel actively, and to suffer for the gospel bravely. And it's a call to put your trust in Jesus if you haven't already. It's been a delight to have served here can't quite believe that three and a half years have gone by so quickly, but here we are parting ways with words of ultimate importance. Surely we should act on them. Surely we, could, we should commit or recommit ourselves to the Lord Jesus and to the work of His gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for the encouragement and challenge of these words. We want to thank you for the gospel which provides us with hope and life. We pray that you'd help us to guard it faithfully, help us to defend the truth and be winsome and honest when we need to be. Help us to spread the gospel actively. Don't allow us to be, to be stagnant in sharing our faith. And we pray too that you would help us to suffer bravely for Jesus and his gospel. Help us to take up our cross and follow him, whatever that means for us. Thank you for the blessing of the church family here in Hill Street. And we ask that you would greatly work here in the future. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.